I appreciate all the, the good music and the singing tonight. And a great, again, it's great to have uh, the Johnsons with us this evening. I want you to take your Bibles tonight, if you will, please, and turn to Revelation chapter number three. In fact, I want you to turn to two different places tonight, if you would. Revelation chapter number three. And once you find your place in Revelation three, I want you to turn over to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 12 tonight. And uh, we've been, uh, we, we have been, uh, and I'm sure that this is of the providence of the Lord, but we've been talking about some very deep things for the last uh, two or three weeks around the, the church here between question and answer and Sunday school. And, and it's caused a lot of questions, uh, by the way, good questions, very good questions. And I had a question this, uh, this last Sunday morning after the Sunday school hour, uh, one of our ladies asked a question and, and, uh, and later on in the service, in fact, it was while the choir was singing, the Lord was, I was sitting down here on the front row and the Lord was dealing with my heart and I, and I jotted down some notes and I thought, well, I need to go back and I need to study that out and answer that question. And, and so uh, we, we, have, we have taught around this, we've preached around this, but I don't think that I've ever, in the 31 years that I've been here, I don't think that I've ever actually brought out what I'm gonna bring out tonight. And so I hope it's gonna be a help, a help to us this evening. So Revelation chapter three in your Bibles, why don't we give you one last opportunity to stand, um, if you're able to, that is. And we're going to start in verse number 16 of Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to read down through verse number 19. Revelation 3, verse 16, so then, because thou art lukewarm, of course, the Lord is speaking of the church of Laodicea, and many scholars believe that we're living in that day today, that we're living in that age of the church of Laodicea today that this is symbolic of the, of the time that we're living in. And so then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. In other words, I want you to, to concentrate on those riches that really matter. That's what he's saying. Uh, get your mind off those temporal, the temporal wealth and the, the temporal riches and get your focus on things that are gonna last and things that are gonna, are gonna matter. Uh, I counsel thee to buy me gold, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with salve that thou mayest see. And then the Lord gives a very stern admonition here in verse 19. He says this, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And then he says, be zealous therefore. Now, whenever you see therefore, you always go back to see what it's there for. And so he says, therefore, because of what he just said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. In other words, don't drag your feet. Don't wait around. Don't procrastinate because God said, although I love you, he said, I will rebuke you and I will chasten you. And so we're gonna talk tonight about this subject, the five stages of divine or God's divine discipline, the five stages of God's divine discipline. So you may be seated tonight and we're gonna jump into this full steam ahead. You know, as we got 
uh, a lot to give you, but I believe we can, we can get it to you and get you out of here, you know, like we normally do. And so, uh, anyway, the five stages of God's divine discipline. This is one of those subjects we're not hearing a lot about anymore. Uh, you know, uh, today, more than anything, we're hearing about the love of God, and I'm not against that. I, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, and these older preachers, I believe, would probably agree with what I'm about to say, and I heard older men say this when I was still younger, but they, they said that the older, the older preacher you become, the more you have to, to guard and make sure that you preach on the judgment of God, because Older preachers have a tendency to preach more on the love of God because they know more about the love of God. Uh, after you've been walking with God for 40, 50, 60 years and, and more than that, you know what? Well, you start learning, wow, what a God. What a God. And you just want to preach on his love all the time. But how many know God's a God of judgment too? And that's the part we're not hearing a whole lot about anymore. And... Uh, and so, thank, thank God, God will forgive us for our sins, but God deals with our sins. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves, so let's pray real quickly. Father, we love you, and thank you so much for the privilege to be here tonight. And Lord, I sure pray now that you would hide us behind the cross. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint us from on high. And Lord, give us that which we need to try to, to give to your people the message that I believe you've laid upon our heart and uh, Lord, I, I, I pray now that you'd clear the way and I pray that we'd be able to learn something from the precious book uh, of God tonight. And uh, Lord, I pray that we'll go home helped and encouraged, edified, uh, challenged, admonished. And so Spirit of God, I, I pray that you'll forgive me of anything in my life that could even begin to be a hindrance. And Lord, forgive us as your people for anything that might Hinder the working of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, cleanse us tonight. And I pray that you'll teach us from your precious word tonight. We love you and praise you. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. And for his sake, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, we've been talking about, for the last two weeks, we've been talking about the doctrine of eternal security. And uh, there are some who take great issue with us on the doctrine of eternal security of the believer. Um, and, uh, and by that, I mean this, we believe this at Calvary Baptist Church. And by the way, don't apologize. I'm not planning on backing up on it. Uh, we believe that once a person is saved, that they remain saved. I believe that, uh, once a person is a child of God, I believe that they're always a child of God. Now, the reason I believe that is not because it's a Baptist doctrine, although it is, but long before it was known as a Baptist doctrine, it was a Bible doctrine. Uh, and uh, that's, that's, that's where we need to focus. It's not necessarily um, a doctrine that's attached to a denomination, although Baptist is not. We'll get into that a little bit later on. That's a whole different series, all right? But, uh, but anyway, uh, now we're gonna get a whole lot of other questions, okay? But anyway, anyway, all right. Uh, Bible doctrine, that's what matters is Bible doctrine. And so there are some who take great issue with us on that issue of eternal security. And their argument, their argument although I believe it's a very weak argument, is this, that if they believed in eternal security of the believer, that they could simply live any way they want to live after getting saved. Well, church, nothing could be further from the truth. And we have never preached that at Calvary Baptist Church, never preached that. 
that kind of, and, and that, that is, that's a very weak, weak teaching if somebody teaches that. Uh, and this is the, the reason I, I say that, because if a person is genuinely, genuinely born again and they sin, they can expect God to deal with their sin. It's going to happen. So somebody says, well, I can just, you know what? If I believe what y'all believe down there at Calvary, I can just get saved, live, live any way I want to. Not if you have the same heavenly father I do. Now, are there, are there people who say that they are saved and then they live a, las, a lascivious life? Yes. Are there people who say they're saved and they stay in their sin and continue to live in their sinful lifestyle? Yes. But according, according to the word of God, that is evidence of someone that's not been genuinely born again. The Bible says that, that uh, when we're born again, that we're, when we're in Christ, that we are gonna become a new creature, old things are gonna pass away. Now, if you are truly a child of God, you can expect divine discipline to accompany your sin. Now, we're going to be camping out a lot in Hebrews chapter 12 tonight, and we are going to go to a few other places, but just hold your place there, Hebrews chapter 12, because we're going to go back there um, throughout the message tonight. But look, I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 12 and look at verse number seven, and I want to get this, I, I just want to get this truth established that if you are truly born again, uh, you say, Pastor, how do you know? I mean, how do you know you've really been saved? Here is one of the absolute evidences that you've been born again. That if you, uh, if you have genuinely been born again, I can promise you that God is going to deal with you about your sin. He's going to. And so if you're here, you say, preacher, I'm saved, but God never deals with me about sin. God never convicts me. God never talks to me about that. My dear friend, uh, it is time to do a major self-examination and to check up. Now look at what Hebrews chapter 12, verse seven says. The Bible says, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with what? As with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not. Now look at verse eight. And God uses some very strong words in verse number eight. He said, but if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. In other words, you are absolutely illegitimate. You are not you are not a son of God. You're not born again is what the Bible is saying there. Again, I'm just, I just want to make this point that if you are truly born again, if you're a believer, if you're saved uh, and, and you stumble or you get away from the Lord, just hang on because I'm telling you, God is going to deal with you about that sin in your life. Now, here's the question. How does he do that? If that's the case, and it is, how does he do that? Uh, how does God deal with sin? If a Christian gets away from the Lord, uh, they, they, they backslide. Maybe somebody's watching the broadcast tonight and you came March of last year and got saved in the revival and God did something very uh, genuine in your life and yet you have wandered away. You have stepped away. And by the way, you don't need me to tell you that. The Holy Spirit's telling you that. You're not reading your Bible like you used to. You're not attending church like you used to. Uh, there for a little while, man, you were faithful and you were you know, doing the things that you need to do and God was dealing with your heart and all of a sudden you, you, you began 
begin to stray, you begin to wander away from that. Uh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to tell us tonight that when you begin to wander, you can expect God to deal with that sin in your life. Now, how does he do that? Well, I'm going to give you tonight the five stages of God's divine discipline. Now, uh, you don't have to do this, but just for the sake of trying to hopefully, uh, give you something that you can hang on to. All these are going to start with the same exact letter and, uh, and we'll expound on each one. But what are the five stages of God's divine discipline? Well, number one is the word speaking, speaking. Now, uh, I don't know if you're still in Revelation 3, but I want you to look at uh, Revelation 3, verse number 19. Look what God says here. As many as I love, I, what's the next word? I rebuke. As many as I love, I rebuke. Now, if you like to mark your Bibles up, underline that, circle that, uh, draw some kind, uh, draw an arrow to that, but, but draw some type of emphasis to that word rebuke. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. All right? Go back to Hebrews chapter 12 and look at verse number five. And notice what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number five. The Bible says, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto, unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Now we know that our, our New Testament is translated from what we call Koine Greek. Our Old Testament is translated from Hebrew and Aramaic. And, uh, and so I just, you know, personally, I love to do word studies and I love to just go back and man, just dig into the richness of the word. And, uh, and, uh, and I did that with that word rebuke there in Revelation chapter three and also in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number five. And it's the Greek word elekto, elekto. And it means this, it means to tell a fault. To tell a fault. Now, think about it. Think about, think about this. How is somebody going to recognize their error if no one tells them their fault? Did you know that is exactly how God deals with sin? First stage. By speaking. By speaking. God deals with sin by speaking. By rebuking. And, uh, and I want to say this, that God does this by using his Holy Spirit. Now, we've learned that in our Sunday night series, and so I'm not gonna go back over that tonight. But listen to John 16, verse number eight. The Bible says, and when he has come, speaking of the Holy Spirit, and when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. Reprove, by the way, look it up. It is the same exact Greek word that's used in Revelation chapter three and also Hebrews chapter 12. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. In other words, in other words, when you and I have sin in our lives, God's first stage, the, the, the first thing he's gonna do in dealing with that sin is this. He is going to speak to you. Wow. Man, I, you know, I'm just, I'm thinking about this. You know, we need preaching. We know God's chose the, the foolishness of preaching. But how many know this? A lot of times before the preacher ever gets started preaching, the Holy Spirit's already speaking. You know why? He promised he would. That's why sometimes even in a service, before we ever get to preaching, folks are coming to the altar. You know why? Because that's the first stage. God begins by speaking, by telling people, listen, that's wrong. That's a fault. That's an error. That's a mistake. You shouldn't be doing that. Shouldn't be talking like that. Shouldn't be going to that kind of place. Shouldn't be hanging around that kind of crowd. You know you ought to be in church tonight. God's telling people that. All over America tonight he's telling people that. Well, I know, Lord, but I was tired. And God said, I know you're tired, but you still should have been in the house of the Lord tonight. Well, I know, Lord, but I wanted to rest. And God says, I know you wanted to rest, 
but come into me and I'll give you rest. And, and, and God is speaking, but, but I want you to notice this. That word rebuke also means not only to speak or to tell a fault, but it means to admonish, that's a stronger word, to admonish or convict. Convict. Now, that's stronger than just speak. It means to admonish or convict. Now, what, what are you talking about, preacher? All right, see if you can... Identify with this. More than likely, when you were growing up, your parents employed that tactic when you were a child. You did something in school, you got demerits, you got suspended. You uh, took something you shouldn't have took. You, you, you did something and your parents found out about it. And when they got a hold of you, they began by speaking to you and they said something like this. I can't believe you did that. Or they said this, and this is the one I always hated to hear. We are so disappointed in you. You're better than that. You know better than that. You've been raised to know better than that. Boy, I'm going to tell you what. I don't know about y'all, but before we ever got to the spanking part when I was growing up, that was, that was bad. That's pretty bad right there. Just to know that my parents... We're disappointed. I remember, I remember one time talking about speaking, rebuke. I remember one time we were, uh, uh, had just got out of church and come home. Mom had fixed a, mom had fixed meal, a meal that day, a lunch, Sunday lunch. And we were sitting around the table and I, well, I do remember what I said. I'm not going to tell you what I said, but I remember what I said. And, uh, and by the way, church, that's probably been, man, that's probably been first grade, first or second grade. And, uh, but I still remember that event to this day. And, uh, but I remember I said something off color at the table, all my brothers and sisters, I think were still at home at the time. And I said something off color to try to get a, a laugh or two. And I remember, if I remember correctly, my dad doing that to the table and saying, leave the table. Now I wasn't done with my fried chicken. <laughs> but quite honestly, dad didn't care if I was done with my fried chicken. And I didn't get the chance to finish my fried chicken. Dad said, leave the table. We don't talk like that at the table. You're not gonna talk like that at this table. Now, again, what, what is your, what, what's your point, preacher? My point is that dad, dad disciplined us by speaking to us and God does the same thing. God starts off by speaking, by rebuking. That's not right. You shouldn't do that. Shouldn't be there. Shouldn't have gone that way. Shouldn't have done that thing. You know what you need to be doing. And so, and by the way, by the way, aren't we glad God starts at number one, not number five. He starts by speaking. Now, let me show you something that's really amazing. Hold your places at those other places, but I want you to turn over to the book of Proverbs with me tonight. Proverbs chapter one. And I want you to look at verse number 23. And I want you to see church. I want you to notice what happens when we respond to rebuke correctly. So, so we, we mess up, we sin, we do something. The Bible says that first of all, God speaks, God rebukes. Look what happens. If we respond to that rebuke correctly, oh my, this is so good. Proverbs chapter one, verse 23, God says it like this. Turn you at my reproof. And then he says this, behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. You know what the Bible's telling us there? That if we respond obediently and if we respond humbly to the rebuke of God, that might be all the discipline that's required. 
Now, I'm talking about humility. So most of you know, uh, my wife and I, we have seven grandbabies and one on the way. And every one of those are completely different. Uh, Taylor, when Taylor, Taylor May, we call her Taylor May. When Taylor May was born, she was just born a meek kid. She always was, always has been, still is. Getting ready to be a teenager. Can y'all believe that? Miss Tammy is really getting up there, I'm telling you. And she's still that way. She's still got that meek spirit. And I can remember being, being with them. And, uh, and, here, and here's, here, here's the rule too. You know what? We encourage our kids to discipline their kids. Just not at our house. All right? Okay. All right. But anyway, but we would be with them sometimes and, and Taylor would do something. You know, Taylor would do something and Zach would rebuke her and he'd say, Taylor May. And did you know for Taylor, that's all it took. And almost immediately her countenance would go down and big, gigantic, big, gigantic crocodile tears would begin to flow down her cheeks. And uh, she just, I, honestly, she became like a little lamb. And then Mason was born. And they cut her from a whole different mold. <laughs> we love them all. But I'm just saying that, you know what? When you would rebuke Taylor, she just would humble down. And a lot of times that was the only discipline that you had to give to her. You know, I believe the Bible's teaching us a wonderful lesson here tonight. Did you know when God speaks to you and God rebukes you and the Holy Spirit comes and he knocks on your door and he says, oh, you know you shouldn't have done that. You know you shouldn't have went there. You know you shouldn't have looked at that. You know better than that. You know better than to listen to something like that. I'm so disappointed in you. You know what? If you'll just rather than bristle and rather than rebel, you know what? If we'll just humble ourselves and, and make ourselves meek, uh, you know what's going to happen? That could be, it could be. That's the only discipline God's going to have to give. Listen to James 4, 6 but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Proverbs 3, verse 34 says it like this. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. So what are the stages? Number one, speaking. How does God deal with sin? Number one, he, he deals with, with sin by speaking or rebuke. But then there's the second stage. Not only speaking, but number two, spanking. All right? Look at Proverbs 3 tonight. Proverbs chapter 3, look at verse number 11 with me, if you will. Not only speaking, stage number two, spanking. Proverbs 3, verse 11. The Bible says, my son, despise not the chastening. Notice the word. Despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. All right, flip back over to Hebrews chapter 12. And look, look with me, if you will, at verse number 10. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 10. 
The Bible says, for they verily for a few days chastened, there's that word again, chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Chastening, chastening. Uh, it, it's just a, it, it's a Bible word for spanking. That's what it means. It is actually the Greek word paduo, and it means this. It means to discipline by punishment. So in other words, the first thing God does, he speaks. The first thing that God does to deal with our sin is he, his Holy Spirit is there and his Holy Spirit rebukes us. But if he has to go to the next stage, the Bible tells us he begins to discipline by punishment. Now, what would chasing be likened to? Chasing would be likened unto the, the parents paddling. Now, you know what that means? It's bad but it's not terrible. Anybody ever got a paddling? Anybody ever got a whooping? The difference. We'll get into that in just a moment. You know, sometimes your, your parents, you know, paddle you, they'll give you a pop. You know, that's a paddling. It's bad, it's uncomfortable. It brings displeasure, but Chasing is God's way of dealing with sin and it does cause some displeasure, but with chasing, it could be a lot worse. Let me show you what I'm talking about. For each of these, I've got examples and I don't have a, a ton of great illustrations tonight, just a lot of Bible I'm gonna give you this evening. And so let me give you an example of biblical chastening. Take your Bibles and turn to uh, 2 Samuel chapter number 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse number 10. We know the story of David and David gets away from the Lord and uh, just gets in a, a bad way and, uh, and uh, ends up in terrible sin with Bathsheba. Oh my, what a, what a tainted story that is and a terrible, terrible story, an embarrassing story. Um, and we, we find here that God spoke to David and yet God had to go to the second stage. And so, so now David has moved to the second stage. Now David is gonna experience chastening. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse number 10. The Bible says, now therefore, and, and this is after David's sin has been found out. The prophet Nathan comes to confront him about his sin. And Nathan is speaking here in second Samuel 12, verse number 10. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and has taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, look at this church, I thought this was interesting. The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. In other words, David, you're getting ready to get a whooping. But it's not as bad as it could be. The Lord hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Look at verse 14. How be it? Because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Now that was bad, church. David lost his child. The child that, uh, that he had, uh, you know, created with Bathsheba 
And we know that story. David fasted and prayed and laid upon his face and he prayed that God would spare the child, but we also know how that ended up. God took that child. Now, you say, preacher, that's terrible. It is terrible. But you know what? Life for David went on. And even life for Bathsheba went on. So it wasn't as bad as it could have been. It was a spanking. It was, it, it was chastening. And so when, when we wonder from the Lord, how does God deal with sin? Number one, God deals with sin by speaking. Number two, God deals with sin by spanking. But then it starts getting more serious. The third one is this. God deals with sin by scourging. Now turn over to Hebrews 12 if you're not already there. Hebrews chapter 12 and look at verse number six. The Bible says, for whom the Lord loveth, he what? He chasteneth, spanks. He gives them a spanking, a paddling. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and, look at this next word, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Now, you say, Pastor, what is a scourging? Well, I'll tell you this, that a scourging is way past the paddling. A paddling is one thing, and, y- and y'all, y'all know this, your country folk, you know this. It's one thing to get a paddling. It's another thing to get an old-fashioned whooping. Most kids don't know what an old-fashioned whooping is really about. Most don't. That's why they act the way they act. That's why they tear up the house of God. That's why they throw paper on the floor. That's why when the officer says, can I have your license and registration? They start reaching between the seats. And, uh, and uh, you, know, you know why? Because most kids don't know what an old-fashioned whooping is. And preacher, I just can't do anything with my kids. My house is a wreck. It's in total turmoil. Our kids are ruining our life. Well, maybe they need to find out what an old-fashioned whooping's all about. I'm not talking about abuse. I'm talking about Bible tonight. All this is Bible, what I'm preaching tonight. Do you honestly, listen, do you honestly think that God would ever abuse you? God would never abuse you. He gave his son for you. But he will give you an old-fashioned whooping. Now, the word scourgeth in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, the word scourgeth is the Greek word mastigo. And it means, listen to this, it means to flog. To flog. Now, I looked this up because I wanted to know, what's the difference between flogging flogging and a paddling or flogging and whipping. And this is what they said. Flogging literally means infliction of punishment by dealing blows. Flogging is characterized by beating with a whip, a strap, or a rope. In other words, an instrument is used for the inflicting of punishment. Now, I will will tell you this. This third stage we're talking about is a stage you never want to get to. So if you ever, and I pray that you never do, but if if, if the Lord speaks to you and rebukes you, God help us just to humble ourselves. And say, Lord, you got me dead to rights. You're right. You know what somebody said? Somebody said that confession, confession is just us agreeing with God. Somebody says, why does God, you know, if God knows everything, why does God want me to confess all my sins? He wants to hear you say it. He wants to see you get honest. He wants to see you get transparent. 
And when we confess our sins, we're just getting, we're just getting honest with the Lord. And I would just encourage us, listen, do that before you ever have to get to these other two stages, because we definitely, definitely don't want to get to this third stage. Now, uh, we used David as an example a while ago, and we're going to use David again. David understood chastening. But I'll tell you something else about David. David also knew what it was to reach the place of scourging. So take your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 24. So when God chastened David, he took his child. But then we find that David experiences scourging, the scourging of the Lord. 2 Samuel chapter 24, David has David is, is not right with the Lord, and David is uh, getting too dependent upon his own power and his own armies, and, and he decides he's going to number. He's going to number the people, and God comes to David and says, David, I don't want you to number the people. I want you to be dependent upon me. I've either got the power to defend you and take care of you, or I don't have the power to do that. And so, David, I don't want you to number the people. I don't want you to, listen, don't worry about how many horses you have and don't put your trust in the, in the, the strength of a man or, the, or, or a horse or an army and uh, you just trust me. That's what God was saying. You just trust me. Don't number the people. But David thought he knew better than the Lord. And so David did not listen to that speaking. 2 Samuel 24, verse number 10 the Bible says, and David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. He did it anyway. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have done. And now I beseech thee, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant. Now, wait a minute. Somebody says, preacher, David got right with God. That is true. David did get right with God. But I'm going to tell you something, Calvary. Be careful because you can get right with God too late. And so he says, Lord, I have sinned. I've sinned greatly in that I've done. And now I beseech thee, Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I've done very foolishly. Verse 11, for when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad, David's seer, or the prophet, saying, go and say unto David, thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and told him and said unto him, shall seven years of famine come unto thee in thy land? Or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies while they pursue thee? Or that there be three days pestilence in thy land? So, so God comes to David and says, David, you're getting an old-fashioned whooping. I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna let you, you choose. Number one, are you gonna flee three months before your enemies. They're going to be chasing you for three months. Or is there, going to be, uh, is there going to be seven years of famine in the land or three days of pestilence? Verse 14, and David said unto Gad, I'm in a great strait. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord for his mercies are great and let me not fall into the hand of man. Look at verse 15, Calvary. The Bible says, so the Lord sent a pestilence three days. That's what he chose, three days so the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning even to the time appointed, and there died of the people from Dan even to Beersheba 70,000 men. You say, preacher, what do you believe that means? I believe it means 70,000. 70,000 men died. Now, I don't know how many women died. 
I don't know how many children died, but 70,000 people died. You see where we're going with this? Speaking is one thing, spanking is another, scourging, that's a whole new level. And so that's, that's the third stage, but let's go on. And, and uh, the Lord gave me this one a little bit later on as I was in this study, but how about this? Number four is the word silence. Did you know tonight, Calvary, did you know that you, we, can, we can so grieve God's Holy Spirit that God grows silent? That's part of his punishment. Um, let me show it to you. Turn over to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 37. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse number 37. Most of you know the story of Saul. God has commanded King Saul to go out and do some very specific things. And Saul decides that, you know, he's going to sort of do his own thing. He's, he, uh, you know, he'll sort of do the will of God, but he's going to do the will of Saul. And, uh, and God becomes very displeased with Saul. In fact, he takes the kingdom away, eventually takes the kingdom away from Saul. But I want you to notice uh, part of the punishment in Saul's life. First uh, Samuel chapter 14, verse 37 uh, the Bible says, and Saul asked counsel of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into the hand of Israel? Look at, verse, look, look at the next, next portion of the verse. The Bible says, but he, talking about God, but he answered him not that day. Skip over just a few pages and look at 1 Samuel chapter number 28. 1 Samuel 28 and look at verse number 5. And I really believe that 1 Samuel 28, 5 and 6 is one of the saddest, some of the saddest verses in your Bible. 1 Samuel 28, Saul still has not found his way back to God yet. And God's been working, trying to draw him back. And yet Saul is rebelling and rebelling and rebelling. And look at 1 Samuel 28, verse number five. The Bible says, and when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. Verse six, and when Saul inquired of the Lord, look at this next line. The Bible says, the Lord answered him not. Calvary, I'm gonna tell you something. This is a scary place to be. It's a scary place to be where the Lord has spoken and spoken and rebuked and said, get right. And by the way, you know, when, when God starts, God starts gently. You know, in, in, aren't you glad the Holy Spirit never pins your arm behind your back? He's just that still small voice and he comes and he whispers and he says, you know, that's not right. You know, you need to get back in church. You know you need to get back in your Bible. You know we love you. You, you. you know what Jesus has done for you. You know you need to. And God just, you know what? God speaks, he speaks so gently and then a spanking come, comes and then scourging comes and then Christians get to the place where, you know what? God gets silent and God doesn't speak anymore. You don't have to turn over there. I'll just read it for you. First Samuel 3, Eli. Eli the priest, he's the religious leader in that day and time. And the Bible says that Eli's sons are wicked. They're wicked. He doesn't restrain them, the Bible says. And God becomes very, very uh, upset with, with Eli. And listen to what our Bible says in 1 Samuel 3, verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord, unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. You know what that means, church? God wasn't speaking. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing for God not to speak to us? 
Wouldn't it be terrible just to walk into church? Spirit of God never moves, never works. You know, we sing a few songs. The preaching's dead. The singing's dead. I mean, the spirit's dead. And you walk in one way, you just walk out the same, the same way. And yet that's, that's a part of God's punishment. And so speaking, rebuke, spanking, chastening, scourging. That's just an old-fashioned, man, that's just an old-fashioned, it's time to go to the woodshed. We've tried and tried, and, and we're just not getting through to you, and it's time to go to the woodshed. Scourging, silence. But then there's that last, there's that last stage, and it's called the sin unto death. And so look, look if you will, at 1 John, and we're done tonight. 1 John chapter 5, and look at verse number 16 with me. 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 16. It's 824, and I'm not going to keep you, I'm not going to keep you late tonight at all. But illustration after illustration after illustration, we could give you concerning this right here. First saying, I'm, I'm sorry, first John. First John chapter 5, verse 16. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death. He shall ask and he shall give, life, give him life for them that sin not unto death. In other words, there are some sins that are not unto death. But look what our Bible says. There is, there is a sin unto death. Now somebody says, preacher, what is the sin unto death? You know what I believe? I don't believe the sin unto death is a certain sin. I believe that sin unto death is any sin that you don't deal with after God has dealt with your sin, he's spoken to you, he's chastened you, he's scourged you, he has become silent, and yet uh, still that child of God is not willing to get it right. I believe that sin, whatever that sin may be, it might be adultery, it might be gambling, it might be pornography, it might be stealing, but whatever that sin is that that Christian's not willing to deal with, I believe that eventually that sin if, if, if it's not confessed and, and, and it hasn't gotten right with God, that sin can become the sin unto death. The poet said it like this, there is a time, I know not when, a place, I know not where, that marks the destiny of men to glory or despair. There is a line by us unseen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's mercy and God's wrath. In other words, I, I just, I, this, is, this is what I believe, and this is what I believe the Bible is teaching, that if a child of God walks away from the Lord, here's the Lord and the child of God walks away from the Lord, I can guarantee you this, if they're genuinely saved, the Spirit of God is going to be dealing with them and speaking to them and spanking them and scourging them. And if they continue to walk away from the Lord, there can be a line that is eventually crossed. And somebody says, preacher, I'm going to get it right. Too late. You say, Pastor, this is pretty heavy. Well, you know what? It really is, isn't it? But it's something, but it's something America needs to hear. And for that matter, America better, better watch out. I'm not so sure America hasn't stepped across the line. And so there's that, that sin unto death. Now, you say, Pastor, you really believe that? I do believe it. And I believe there's way too many examples in the word of God to prove what I'm teaching tonight. How about this? How about Ananias and Sapphira? 
Now, I'm not going to even, I'm, I'm not going to go there. We're, we're not, it's 826. We're not studying that out tonight, but, but I would just say this. I encourage you to go to Acts chapter five in your devotions and read Acts chapter five about a, a man by the name of Ananias and his wife's name is Sapphira. And what you learn in Acts chapter five is this was not, th- this was not um, sin that just happened off the cuff. This was something that was well thought out and something that took a little while they had to sell the land, they had to gather the money, they had to, you know, all, all these things had to be put into place. And we believe that Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira were saved. We believe they were saved. And, and I believe this, I believe that while they were concocting this plan, I believe that God was speaking to them and God was rebuking them and they did not get it right. And you know what happened eventually? They stepped across that line and they committed that sin unto death. And Ananias shows up to the church house. And he says, oh, we got a big offering for the church. He said, we sold our land. And he said, man, we brought the whole thing. We're just going to give it all to the church. When the fact of the matter is, they did not do that. They sold the land and they kept a portion back privately. But they wanted everybody to look at them. And they, oh, can you believe what Ananias and Sapphira did? Wow. And the Bible says God killed both of them. How about... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where the Bible says that they were abusing communion in the church. And Paul very carefully said that because of that, there were some that were weak and sickly and many sleep, many, many sleep. In other words, some had so abused of that, that they committed the sin unto death. Now, church, we're done. But uh, I couldn't help but think about that song. And every once in a while, Ms. Gay plays it. Nothing between my soul and the Savior, so that his blessed face may be seen. Nothing preventing the least of his favor. Is there anything in your life tonight that is preventing his favor? Listen, church, I I don't have a clue. I'm not a prophet. I'm a pastor. But I can guarantee you this. A lot of times in a church like this, in a church this size, there's stuff going on behind the scenes and underneath the radar and there's some of you, maybe, 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 there's some of you here, maybe somebody watching my live stream, and the Holy Ghost has been speaking, 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 speaking. And if you don't respond to that, he's going to go to the second stage. And then the third, and then the fourth, and then the fifth. I found this good little story. I thought I'd read it for you here. Some of you have heard of the great preacher C.T. Studd. And uh, he was a, what they called a missionary pioneer. And he was sharing a room with a colleague on one of, one of their journeys And the young man that he was sharing the room with, the young man awoke before daybreak to discover C.T. Studd huddled in the corner of the room, wrapped in a blanket, pouring over his well-thumbed Bible in the light of a sputtering candle. And the young man said to C.T. Studd, what are you doing? And C.T. Studd replied, I couldn't sleep because I felt I had something wrong in my relationship with the Lord. And so I've been reading through the New Testament to check on his commands in case I've been disobedient. Man, that's what I'm talking about. Have you ever done this and just went to the Lord and said, Lord, if I've done anything, forgive me. You know, sometimes it wouldn't hurt for us to just go to the Lord and just confess on credit. You know, somebody said this, somebody said, well, you know, preacher, if I went to the Lord, I wouldn't know what to confess. And I want to say, just take a guess. You'll get it. You'll get it every time. And what about those people who say, well, I never sin. 
Hey, church, we sin when we don't even know we sin. And so let's just do this as a church family. Man, let's just, let's just make a commitment. Lord, we're going to keep our sins confessed and just, Lord, if, if there's something you need to, you know what? You know what? Give the Lord, give the Lord the permission. He doesn't need permission. I know that. But give the Lord permission to deal with you. Sometimes I pray this when I'm confessing my sins to the Lord. And usually I know which ones to confess. But sometimes I'll say this after I'm done. I'll say, Lord, if there's anything in my life that I have missed, if you reveal it to me, help me to get it right with you. And you know what, church? Be careful what you ask for because he'll show you. But let's just stay right with God. Man, let's just stay right with God. I, I don't want to get to any of those stages. I just want to stand so close up to the Lord that I don't have to worry about that. Amen. Well, I hope that's made sense tonight. Let's all stand. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Hey, I, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life tonight. But if there's anything, if there's anything in your life that needs to be dealt with, I want to encourage you tonight. I think it's the 8th, February 8th, 2023. Man, deal with it tonight. Don't wait for God to deal with it. Just go ahead and examine yourself right now and, and ask the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, is there anything? Is there anything? Something I've said, a feeling I've had, something I looked at. Maybe, you know, I treated somebody in the church a certain way or somebody at work, you know, and I, 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 I did something I shouldn't have done. Lord, is there anything in my life you need to deal with? Lord, if there is, reveal it to me. Reveal it to me and help me to get it right with you. Well, that'd be a great way for us to leave tonight. And so, Lord, I thank you. I know this has been, this has been simple. It's definitely been teachy but that's okay. Lord, I thank you for teaching us this. Father, I'm so glad you've given us this counsel. And the reason that you've given us this is so we never get to those stages. Father, when we make a mistake or we do something we shouldn't do, thank you for giving us of your precious Holy Spirit that convicts us and speaks to us. And Lord, at that very moment, help us to get it right. Lord, help us to humble ourselves and to have a meek and a quiet spirit and to stay right with the Lord. Father, deal with whatever you need to deal with. I don't necessarily know all the reason you had me bring this tonight, but I pray you just deal with whatever you need to deal with. And Lord, I just pray this way. Lord, help me personally. Help me to be right with you. Father, help me. God, help me not to stumble. Lord, help me never to bring reproach to the name of Jesus. God, I pray you'd help my wife and I to always live for Christ. Help us not to disappoint you. I pray for my children tonight, Lord, that you'd help them to stay in the way. and God, not to stumble, not to wander. God, I pray for our families tonight that you'd help us to stay in the will of God. And Lord, just to keep that sweet, sweet relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God, have your way in this invitation, please. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. With heads bowed and eyes closed, is there anybody, first of all, anybody here tonight says, preacher, I need to be saved. Anybody here? 
The Lord's dealt with my heart. I need to be saved. Anybody like that tonight? We'd love to talk with you about the Lord. If you're watching by way of the live stream and you say, Pastor, I've never been born again. I've never been saved. Hey, there's a number on the bottom of your screen right now. And I want you to call that number. Call that number. We've got some people waiting right by the phone and they want to pray with you. If you're here tonight and you are saved and there's anything that the Spirit of God has pinpointed in your life, hey, would you do this? Would you just deal with it right now? Lord, help me to be right with God. 